If you have your Bibles this morning, and you would find 2 Samuel as we are continuing to go through this wonderful book, and as you're turning there, I have a card that I'd like to read this morning. For everything you've done, for being the special people that you are, thank you very much. Words cannot express how much we appreciated the meal that was prepared for us after Max's funeral. It is during times like this, these, that we understand the true meaning of friendship. Thank you all for demonstrating the love and compassion of Jesus during our time of grief. And that is from the family of Max Hunt. And I just want to thank all you who served and who got everything ready for that. Uh, Today, I do ask that you would pray. Uh, uh, Today is uh, always a big day here at church. Um, But it is always a a great concern uh, because uh, on Easter, uh, the second service, we had to put out uh, many more chairs to hold the crowd that we have. And so this week, I put out all the chairs that we can put in here today. And I hoped that more of you would come to first service uh, so that we could open up seats for the second service. And so I'll I'll get on to them in the second service. But Uh, Just be praying that uh, those who visit us this Sunday for the first time or those who uh, are coming who have maybe never came before or are just beginning to come, uh, don't get run out of a seat or confined a seat. And and so that our people are willing to give up their seats for those that God would send. And so I know what you're saying, Jake, that's not a big deal. I come to the 8 o'clock service and I sit in the same place every Sunday. I know. But uh, we do never want someone to come and for the first time and say, well, this is so big, this is so crazy, this is such a mess, um, that they do not want to come back. And so uh, we're just praying for a wonderful day today, and uh, so I ask that you would pray for that. I ask that you'd pray for safety in the parking lot. Uh, As you know, we are very limited, and with the massive amount of cars that will be here, uh, one of the great fears that I always have is that something will happen. Uh, and so we just pray for safety and, uh, and just a wonderful day. And so uh, the question that I asked you last week, uh, what does God want for us? Uh, today we're going to look at the second part of that. What does God want for us? Part two. And if you were here last week, you took notes and you remember what it was about. But if you weren't, uh, or if you did not take notes, we looked at three things. Uh, we looked at verses one through two that We have to trust that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. You have to believe that you're not here by accident, that God did not make a mistake, that you didn't just randomly happen, that God puts you here and has a purpose for your life. And if he was done with you, he would take you home. The second thing we looked at from verse 3 was not all well-meaning advice is God's advice. Stop listening to everyone else and start listening to what God says, what his word says. But also quit giving your advice on everything because as like armpits, everyone has them and they all stink from time to time. And in verses 4 through 6, we looked at how sometimes God says yes, no, or later. And so as we begin to get this idea of what God was doing in David's life, because David wanted to build the temple. And God said, no, you're not going to build it, but it will be built at some point. And so today we look here as we're continuing on, and I hope and I pray that you will really believe 
that God has a purpose for you, that God has a purpose for your family, that God has a purpose for this church. And so if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's word, we're going to read verses 7 through 11 this morning. Starting in verse 7, the word of God says, Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. If you would pray with me. Father, today we come humbly, Lord, and honestly recognize our sinfulness, our brokenness. But God, I just pray today that in the time that we have, God, we would honor you with our thoughts, with our worship, Lord, with the preaching of your word, Lord, with our responses to the conviction of your spirit. God, I just pray that you would make much of Jesus. God, I ask that you'd forgive me if my sins, my failings, my shortcomings, God, all the things that are not the way that you want them to be. And God, I just give you all the praise and all the glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember what had happened, David has got it in his heart. I want to do something for God because I live in a palace and God lives in this tent. Uh, out, And we know that that's not true, but in David's mind, uh, he's thinking that, right? God has a tent, he's in a ark, but... But we see something here that God is everywhere. Uh, that God does not need uh, buildings built by us to bring him honor. Uh, God has painted the pictures in the sky. God has hung the stars. God has hung the sun. God has crafted the mountains. So if you want something that is beautiful that you cannot take credit for, just walk outside. Look at some of the most beautiful places in the world. But David has a desire to build God a place To be worshipped. And if you remember Nathan, the prophet of God, the the man who's supposed to speak for God, says, hey, whatever is in your heart, you just do it. And so that night, Nathan goes home, whether he's asleep, whether he is in prayer, we don't know. God says, who do you think you are giving advice that I did not give you to give? And so we find here in verse 7 that God begins to explain not only why he doesn't want David to build it, but what God is going to do that is better than what David could imagine. And so if you're wanting to know what God wants for you, first thing I want to show you this morning is this. We must know what God has said. We must know what God has said. Look what it says here in verse 7. 
Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? God tells Nathan, I have never asked for a house. I have never mentioned wanting a house. I never laid it on Abraham's heart. I never laid it on uh, the old judge's hearts. I never laid it on anyone's heart. But yet you think, I need a house. You see, we're living in a day and age where people either think they know what the Bible says, have misused what the Bible says, or do not care what the Bible says. But friends, God has spoken. And this morning, you have to make a decision as a Christian. You have to come to a place where you either believe the Word of God or reject it in its entirety. You say, I don't believe that, Jake. I believe you can be a Christian and believe that some of the Word of God is true and some of it is not. I want you to know this morning that you cannot. Because what the Word of God says is either believable or it is not. You say, well, what do you mean, Jake? The Bible says that God created everything in six literal days. That's it. And then he rested. Now you say, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, then you have disagreed with the first teaching of the Bible. That God is the architect of everything. That God is the one who has orchestrated everything. God is the one who has put us here for a purpose and a plan. You say, well, Jake, I just I disagree on the details. That's okay if you do not want to obey God. But what did God say? That he created everything in six days. You say, well, Jake, that's not an important one. Okay, well, how about sin? Because the world will tell you that you're not a sinner. You're a genuinely good person. You just make bad decisions. Well, I agree with the bad decisions part. But friends, the Bible says in the garden that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sinned against him, and plunged the entire human race into sin. And because sin entered the world through one man, so did death. And all of creation, every relationship that you have, everything that you see has been affected by sin. And that sin nature has been passed down to every single person who has ever lived. And that sin that you and I struggle with, that, that sin that we all face and deal with, has separated us from God. And so there are none good, there are none righteous, the heart is deceitfully wicked. And so this morning, if you cannot come to a place where you say, God, I agree with you that you have created us, that you have put us here. God, I agree with you that we have sinned and broken that relationship. Friends, it is impossible then to understand the need for why God had to send His only Son. You say, well, Jake, I believe that Jesus was a good man, that he was a teacher, that he was a, that he was a great doctor. No, the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God and fully man. He has always existed. The Bible says that all things were made by him and for him and through him. And so you cannot just come to a place where you enjoy the teachings of Jesus or the healings of Jesus. You have to recognize that God loved you so much and that your sins separated him from you and I. 
that our sin separated us from him, that he loved us so much that he sent his very son, God in human flesh, to come and to die on a cross to take the sins of the world. But not only did he take that punishment, that he was buried, that he died, and that three days later he arose. Now, I know you're educated, and I know you people are wonderful, but I have never been preaching a funeral and been in a graveside, and I've been in a lot of them now, and all of a sudden just seen someone pop up, someone that had been dead come back to life. I have never seen that, but yet I believe that Jesus overcame sin and death and the grave. And see, friends, you have to come to that opinion, not that it is an opinion, but that it is a fact. And what God says is, I never said anything about a house. You need to listen to what I've said. And this morning, friends, whether it is gender, whether it is marriage, whether it is uh, sanctity of human life, whether it is taxes, whether it is the government, you have to get to a place where you say, God, I don't care what it says, I am going to believe it. God, I'm going to try to understand it. I'm going to try to apply it. Because God, I know that if you have said it, then you have blessed it. But friends, I also want to caution you this morning to be careful what God has not said that you give him credit for. In verse 18, the 18th chapter of the book of Psalm, verse 30, the Bible says this. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven He is a shield to all who trust Him. Your faith is always going to be on shaky ground. You're always going to be doubting the decisions that you make. You're always going to be struggling with what comes next. If you do not come to a place where, God, I believe your word. God, I believe your promises. God, I believe your purposes. And I believe that this is unshakable. And if I will do things the way you have told me to do them, God, I trust that the results that you bring will be what is best for my life. I don't know if it's parenting. I don't know if it's money. I don't know what it is in your life today. But you have to know what God has said. Now I know that things are difficult today. I know that gas is $5 a gallon. I know that milk is $700 a jug. I understand all of that, All right, But friends, God has given us basic biblical principles that whether there are good financial times or bad financial times, that God's people should be different than the world. The Bible talks about like the ant, we should store, we should be frugal, we should take care of things so that when seasons of difficulty come, we don't live like the world with $78,000 in credit card debt, $400,000 in mortgages, $400,000 in car payments, that we don't have all of those things because God said the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, I know I'm meddling this morning, but it is the Word of God. And so you can take it up with Him when you get there, if you go. And so, but this morning, you have to know what God's Word says. You say, Jake, how can I raise godly children in a world that seems to embrace and to constantly be pouring into them the negative and the ungodly? You just have to do things God's way. Because why? God's way is perfect. Did you hear that? But don't miss that. The Word of the Lord is proven. This morning, I want to challenge you to believe God's Word and apply it. To to believe God's Word and apply it and see what God can do. God will outshine. God will outwork. God will outbless the greatest desires that you can have. 
But not only do you have to believe that God and His ways are perfect, you must believe that God will not lie or not make mistakes. Because, friends, we have all been burnt by someone. We've been burnt in relationships. We've been burnt at church. We have been burnt at work. And so most of us struggle with trust. Let's just be honest. That's why we come to church and we act like everything is fine when we know it's not. Because we're afraid of what people are going to say about us, what they're going to think about us. But you cannot believe that way about God. You have to believe that if He has said it, He will do it. Psalms 33 verse 4 says it like this, For the word of the Lord is right, and all His work is done in truth. I had a discussion here recently with a gentleman about the Word of God. and We were in a discussion about, well, this is what the Bible says, and this is what the Bible says, and this is what it says, and this is what it says. And I said, I try to live my life with one principle. That when I get to heaven, I know God is going to have to correct me on things. I know that. But what I want to be able to do when I stand before God is Him say, Jake, why did you believe what you believe? And I can quote a verse of Scripture And if God says, Jake, you misinterpreted that, you missed that one way off. Okay. But what I do not want to do is stand before God someday and him say, for instance, Jake, the Bible said that a pastor is to be the husband of one wife. Pretty simple. And me have to tell God, I know that's what your word said, but I really felt or I really thought Or God, I know that your word says that before you formed us, you knew us. And that God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I know what your word says about life and the sanctity of life and the preciousness of life. But God, I just felt that people needed this. And so friends, my challenge to you today is to believe that God's word is right about everything. That it's right about your life. It's right about the situations that we are facing. If you want to know what God wants for you, you have to know what he has said. second thing I want to show you this morning is we need to remember where God has brought us from. We need to remember where God has brought us from. Look what it says in verse 8. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David... Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on earth. Now, if you're Nathan, you're probably not thinking this is a big deal. But Nathan is recognizing something. Not only am I going to have to go back to David... And tell him, the advice I gave you was not from God. God specifically tells him what to say. And it is to start out by saying, who do you think you are? You were a nobody till God made you a somebody. You were tending the sheep and God has made you the most powerful man in the world. You had enemies everywhere and I delivered you from all of them. Friends, what God is really saying, as simple as we can break it down, is you would be nowhere without me. And believer in your walk today, I know it is easy. The longer we are saved, 
to think, well, I finally know the books of the Bible. Or I, I, I've, I've taught Sunday school for 107 years. And I've been a member of a church. Or I've accomplished this. Or I've done that. But friends, never forget that you were nothing and nobody until Jesus made you somebody. You and I were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were hopelessly headed for hell, but then the grace of God appeared. Then the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God saved us from our sins. And so when people begin to to, to toot your horn or to make you feel better about yourself or really try to brag at who you are, you always remember one thing. Give credit where credit is due. And it all belongs to the Lord. Friends, this morning as a church, we should never think, look at what we have done. Look at what we have accomplished. And I just want to say, though, aren't these Vacation Bible School decorations wonderful? Amen? And I am thankful for the ones who served. I'm thankful for the ones who made it. But guess who gave you the ability to do it? God did. Guess who gave us the finances to buy it? God did. Because why? God is the reason for everything. God is the answer for everything. And the greatest problem that we have as Christians is we forget where we came from. We forget what we were like before God saved us. And this morning you might need to be reminded because sometimes I hear this in church, and I'm, if this is your testimony, please don't stone me till we get outside at Family Fun Day, okay? Well, Jake, I was raised in church, and I've always been a really good person, and I just kind of fell into my relationship with Jesus as a kid. And, and you know, I've just always kind of done what God told me, and I've just, you know, I've just always kind of been this way. Friends, it doesn't matter if you are 4, 7, 15, 20 80 years old when you get saved, you have to recognize that you are a sinner. You don't just evolve into being a believer. The Spirit of God convicts you, and you come to a realization. Now, it's not all the same, right? At 22-year-old, you understand sin better than you do as a 7-year-old. You've done more. You've, you've, you've disobeyed more. And so there is a greater understanding of what you've been forgiven from. But friends, you cannot be saved until you first realize that you are lost. That you are hopeless. That you are in need of Him. And so God has a plan to rescue us. But we should remember where we've been rescued from. First John, the fourth chapter, says it like this. Starting in verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. The reason that you and I were rescued from our sin is not because we devised a plan, not because we thought of a way, but because God loved you. And friends, if you have forgotten where you came from, or you think you are too far to be brought from where you are, remember that God loved you before he saved you. God loved you before he changed you. God loved you even before you were even a thought in your own mind or in your parents' mind or your grandparents' mind. And so God can rescue you from wherever you're at. But friends, I don't want you to just miss this. Sometimes we think, well, I've gotten saved and God's forgot about me. 
Sometimes that happens in church, right? Someone gets saved and we celebrate them and we clap and we have all this wonderfulness and then we just send them into the flock and we forget about them. But friends, I want you to know something that God does not forget about you once he rescues you. And God does not forget about you if you have been saved and have stumbled. In Psalm 72, starting in verse 12, these are some verses that I have tried to really spend a lot of time on in my personal life. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy, and he will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight. You say, Jake, that's kind of depressing to think about all the time. Not really when you look at it. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but all of us are needy at some point. But he will deliver when we cry. All of us have been poor in some way. Maybe not financially, but maybe emotionally. Maybe we've been poor in relationships and felt that we were all alone. Maybe we've, maybe we've struggled and had nothing that we thought mattered in our life. But he will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life. What you need to see is that there is no amount of brokenness. There is no amount of damage. There is no amount of confusion and discouragement and disappointment and sin that God cannot redeem. That's what it says there, to buy back, to make new, to purchase. And so this morning, whether you have forgotten where you came from and have gotten so prideful that you don't think you need God or whether you are so broken that you don't think there's hope, God says He can rescue. And third and final thing this morning, we must know what God has said. We need to remember where God has brought us from. But in verses 10 and 11, we see we can't forget that God has a plan and purpose for us. You say, wait a second, Jake, that was your point to start this sermon. Yes, we're 11 verses in, and you know what I have found about us? We forget. Oh, on Sundays, we remember what God has said, right? We've been, we've been difficult in our week. We've had challenges. We've been betrayed. But we come to church, and there's people that love us, and there's people that care for us. There's people that pray for us. And if you don't have that when you're feeling when you come here, please let me know. Let me help find a Sunday school class for you. Let me help pray with you. But yet there's this, this rejoicing, right? The, there's this rejuvenating to go back in the week and to go back into the service of the Lord and to go back where the heathens and, and all of the stuff in the world is. And we have this joy supposed to be when we come together. And I say that this morning because sometimes it doesn't do that. Sometimes we drug, drag ourselves to church. We, we haven't prepared. We haven't prayed. We haven't studied. And so what goes on in our life is not what God intended for it. But this morning I say this because we forget. Because the commitment we make on Sunday when we found ourselves at church and the pastors preach something and the Spirit of God has convicted us and, man, I'm not going to fear this week. I'm not going to fear what someone else can say about me. I'm not going to fear what someone else can do to me. I'm not going to fear the unknown that's going to come. By Tuesday, you're sitting at home drinking your third cup of coffee and you're worried about what's going to come during the day. And God says, fear not. And you just said, I'm not going to fear. But yet what we forget, maybe it's not every week, but maybe it's over a season of time. 
We forget what God has done for us. We forget the promises that he has made to us. Look what it says in verses 10 through 11. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. There they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. God says, don't just remember where I brought you from. He says, don't just forget that I have delivered you from your enemies. He says, I have bigger things in store. Because, you know, most of us would look at David's story and say, he's got everything he needs now. His enemies are gone. His kingdom is established. How could he be any more blessed? And God says, just wait. And friends, there are some times in our life where we genuinely think, this is as good as it gets. This, it couldn't be any better. Friends, what I want you to know is this. God is able to do exceedingly and much more than you and I can ever imagine. And this morning, I think we've lost that in our churches. I think we've lost it because we've all seen dead Baptist churches everywhere. Most of us have even been in churches that have grown for a season. Most of us have been in businesses that have seen success for a season. But what we see in life is that success doesn't last. I have always enjoyed watching old, I mean old, uh, Dean Martin comedy roast. That's just something I used to always enjoy. I don't get to watch him anymore because even back then it was too filthy to watch. But they used to make fun of each other. And the reason that I liked it the most was they'd always find someone that used to be a star, used to have a great career, and they didn't anymore. And they would spend the whole time making fun of the fact that you were in one movie and where did you go? Or you were in a TV show seven times and all seven of them got canceled. Because in our day and age and in our life, almost everything that we see doesn't last. You literally buy things with the intent of throwing them away at some point. Most of us buy things knowing that if we get a little bit of time out of them, that it's valuable. And that's the way we view success. That's the way we view relationships. But God does not operate under the same parameters that we do. Think about it like this. God can give you children that can love Jesus and serve him. They don't have to leave and run from God. God can give you a marriage that stands through the test of time and challenges and difficulties. God can give you financial blessings that work throughout your whole life. God can begin a work in the church and continue it until he comes again. You see, what COVID has done to us is it has robbed us of the belief that what comes next could be better. I hear it all the time from pastors. Well, I don't, the church is never going to recover. The, the church is never going to come back. The church is never going to do this. And I never talk in those meetings. Because then I have to say something like, well, we just voted Sunday to build. Or yes, we've had a hard time during COVID. 24 families felt they needed to go to church somewhere else. And every one of those families, it hurt and it was difficult and it was challenging. And, it, and we wish they didn't leave. But friends, God has sent us over 60 new families. 
And so we just stand here and we say, God, we don't know what you're doing. We don't know why you're doing it. God, we don't understand it all, but we're going to trust you. And so, friends, you have to believe that what God is going to do can be great. God is going to do amazing things. You say, well, Jake, it's going to get worse and worse until the the tribulation. I agree with that. I'm a pre-tribber. I believe God's going to take us before it starts. But, friends, God can still bless you. God can still bless this church. God can still bless your marriage. Even when the rest of the world is falling apart. If you let Him. You can manage your money God's way. You can raise your children God's way. You can have a church that's doing things God's way. If you will listen to what He says. If you'll remember where He's brought you from. And you won't forget that God has a purpose and a plan for us. This morning, I know that's challenging. Turn on the news. Country's being led by a man who doesn't even know where he's at. Congress and the White House, Supreme Court, how hate each other. You have people of both political parties that are absolute morons. State that hates God. Wants to embrace everything that hates on God. And that God's word says it hates. You go to work and nobody can get along. Live in the laziest generation of people that has ever lived, I believe. No one wants to work. No one wants to do this. No one wants to do that. And what has happened is that's what we believe. But friends, that's not who God is. And this morning you can believe that we're going to respect and honor whoever's in that house and we're going to pray for them that God would save and God would work and that God would turn the heart of a king however he sees fit. We have to pray that God will give people the wisdom to make right judgments and wrong judgments and all the things that need to be made. But friends, I am going to trust that God is going to provide for me and my family. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a good possibility I'm going to have to pay for six weddings. I don't care how good the economy is. That's not fair. It's just the way it is. But I trust that God knows what my family needs. And he will meet those needs. You say, well, Jake, my health is bad. And I don't know if I'm going to make it. Friends, all you have to worry about is being right with him. And whether he gives you one day, a hundred days, or ten years, be thankful. Trusting that God knows what he has given you. You have to believe that no matter how difficult the situation, how broken the situation is, that God has a purpose. You know, I have found that I have more joy now that I do not watch the news. And I read the news, and that makes me mad enough, but you know how much more joy I have knowing that I am not supposed to be everyone's pastor in the whole world? You know how much more joy I have knowing that this church is not the only church the people are going to go to. Because I don't know if you know this or not, I can get into the mindset that I'm the only one in the world that matters. My happiness is the only one in the world that matters. What my children want and what my wife wants, that's all that matters in the whole world. And God has to remind me that those are all blessings that he has given me. And I should treat them as blessings And not the blesser. And so this morning my great challenge to you is. Trust him. Believe that what God can do in your life today. Can be greater than it's ever been before. 
I want to read one more verse to you and I'm going to close. John chapter 9, starting in verse 30, says these words. The man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the word began, world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now this verse could be talked about for an hour and I'm going to say something in one minute. This man had just experienced a miracle of God. He was blind and had been given his sight. He believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And he received a miracle from him. But no one else did. The religious leaders did. The political leaders didn't. And yet he was still blessed by God. And you say, well, why was he blessed by God? Because God said he blesses obedience. And this morning, if you will hear his word, believe his word, and follow his word, there will be things that go on in your life that the rest of the world cannot understand. You say, Jake, that sounds awful Joel Osteen of you. No, it's not. You see, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. You're going to go through difficulties as a Christian just like the world will. But don't you ever believe the lie that God does not bless His people. That God does not bless His people when they're obeying Him and seeking Him and following Him and humbling themselves. Because it says right there that God doesn't even listen when there is sin and junk in your life. There is a broken fellowship with God. But friends, if you will get your relationship right with Him, it says right there that He will hear you. And friends, for my family, the greatest gift that I can give them is to be humbly repenting and faithfully praying that God would work and move in their life. You say, no, Jake, you just need to make more money. You just need to be home more. You just need to do all these things. No, I need to humble myself and beg the throne of God that he would work and move in their life. You know why I believe that? Because I believe he will hear and he will shield, and he will bless, and he will work. But friends, you've got to do it his way. His way is the only way. Father, today I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that as you were talking to David in this season of correction, Lord, that we have hope. God, that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, that God, you can speak into our lives of a need to turn to you. And Father, in this place today, I do not know what is going on in each individual's life. But God, I know that we all struggle with sin in the flesh. And so God, to that person that's been praying about something but been willing to give another part of their life to you, God, I pray that today's the day that they give you every part of their life. Father, that person that's here thinking that they're good enough, that they are beyond saving God, that is on their way to hell, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their need to be saved, of their need for you to become the Lord and Savior of their life, to forgive them, to wash them, to make them brand new. Lord, I cannot do that, but you can. And so, Father, I pray that your convicting power this morning is at work in this place. Lord, I pray for the many believers in this room who are like me, Lord, that get discouraged, that get beat down, that get our eyes on the things of this world. 
and forget, God, that you can bless us, that you can take care of us, that you can be with us, that you can provide for us, God, in a world that makes no sense. God, I just pray that you'd help us to have the faith to trust you, to follow you, to obey you, and God, to repent when we sin. And so, Lord, whatever happens from now on, God, I pray in this place that it would honor you. I pray, Lord, that the words that I have said would honor you. I pray, Lord, that the songs that we have sung would honor you. And God, I just ask that you would bless this place. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.